three vital practices look like in your life at the moment? It's been a while since our, uh, since our last installment in the World Changer series. There's been a lot of special and very exciting services during January. But this morning we're back to the Sermon on the Mount, the speech that changed and continues to change our world. And having spent uh, three months in one chapter, in Matthew chapter 5, today we start Matthew chapter 6. Not entirely sure what page it's on in the church pew Bible. 970. Thanks, Drew. And if I was going to sum up uh, part of what I want to share this morning in one sentence or in six words, here it is. Uh, All for an audience of one. All for an audience of one. Maybe that's all some of you need to hear this morning. Just take that thought away. But during this series, we've been been reflecting on how Jesus came to announce the arrival of God's rule and reign, that it was touching down, that, that earth was now an outpost of heaven. And one of the first things that that Jesus proclaimed publicly just after his baptism and after he spent 40 days alone in that desert, one of the first things that he said publicly is this, that the kingdom of heaven has come near. An exciting new day clearly was dawning with his arrival. And Jesus then began to establish a new community of kingdom dwellers of which we are a part. A new community of, and those who have been journeying with us through this series, a new community of the called, the blessed, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. That's who we are. That's our identity. It's really clear that we we understand who we are because that kind of then affects how we live. Called, blessed, salt of the earth, light of the world. That's who you are. A new community that is transformed from the inside out, because as we've been saying, and those who have been with us in the series, you can join me in this, the heart of the matter is... That wasn't particularly convincing. (laughs) But anyway, let's do it again. The heart of the matter is really is really is so what does this new community do well for a start or primarily they live differently their attitudes their words and their actions alter radically well they should do with regard to anger and lust and truth and retaliation and revenge and their enemies. Kingdom living means, well, actually, we love our enemies. That's what sets us apart. That's what makes us countercultural. We love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. We turn the other cheek. We go the extra mile. 
we're true to our word. We are ruthlessly careful about how we look at others. We do not objectify people. We seek reconciliation. That's what we've been thinking about. And so in a nutshell, using a phrase from one translation of Matthew 5, 48, we, kingdom dwellers, this... some of you are thinking but anyway but as we get into Matthew 6 and if you have a Bible open it would be really handy but as we get into Matthew 6 Jesus starts talking about practices we do or should do and how we should actually go about doing them and he highlights three Three practices that shape and form us, now hear this, from the outside in. Okay. Three holy habits, three spiritual disciplines. And so this morning is about, as well as an audience of one, it is about formation, spiritual formation. Now I know we are ultimately transformed from the inside out. Okay? I'm not a heretic. An internal renovation of the heart is a work of God's amazing grace. But we're then encouraged to work out, not to work for, but to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so we have choices to make with regard to how we pursue spiritual formation and growth I I, I passionately believe this and after years of kind of being a Christian and being on this journey I, I, I increasingly believe this more and more we have choices to make about how we pursue spiritual formation and growth we have been given spiritual disciplines, which as Jonathan Edwards, the great Puritan theologian and thinker said, are God's gifts to us. They are a means of grace, he said. A way in which we find God's grace at work in our hearts. So we don't do what I'm about to talk about this morning. We don't do them to save us. Instead, we practice them because they help to form us now that we are saved, now that we are rescued. So back to the question I asked you at the start, how is your giving, how is your praying, how is your fasting, how are these practices shaping you from the outside in? And in a sense, only each one of us here this morning can answer that question. During the week, uh, partly in preparation for this morning, and this might seem like a tangent, but stick with me. But during the week, I I listened to a talk from a a large-ish Christian conference about ministry in a digital age. And the speaker was reflecting on the purpose of the church. And he wondered if you could kind of capture the purpose of the church in a word or, or a few words. And he shared how for some people, the key word, the key purpose of church is mission. 
That's what we're about. That's what we exist for. And he's right. Mission is critical. For others, a different keyword or idea might be expression. That who we are and what we do here, for example, is about expressing our worship to God. It's about expressing our love for God and our love for one another. And again, that's so right. But he then added a third word about the purpose of church. Maybe one that doesn't come or spring to mind so quickly. And that word is formation. That what we do here together, that why we gather and why it's so important we do meet like this, is to engage in practices that shape and form us into the people of God and disciples of Jesus. And so each week on a regular basis, we meet to pray, to praise, to hear God's word, to read, to eat, to drink, to give, to be led in or to participate in practices that shape and change us. And so a key aspect of what church is about is formation. And I I really do like that perspective a lot because I think it has the potential to change how you approach even Sunday services. That this is about formation. As together, we corporately pray read and give etc but let's get back to the personal dimension although it's obviously connected let's get back to these three specific formational practices that jesus raises and addresses and challenges us about at the beginning of chapter six our giving our praying our fasting and please for those who were panicking let's stand for the public reading of god's word Be careful, says Jesus, not to do your acts of righteousness or in another translation, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Pause there for a moment. We're going to come back to verses 7 to 15 next Sunday morning because we're going to devote an entire morning to the model prayer. But jump down to verses 16 to 18, which continue along similar lines. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. 
Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil in your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Grab a seat. Really struck by how that, that, that kind of first verse of Matthew 6 begins. Particularly in this, this, this translation. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. But, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to warn about a particular way of practicing your righteousness. And we'll come to that in a moment. But up front, let's affirm and clarify that righteousness does at some level need to be practiced. Why? Well, because Jesus knew, as did the rest of the New Testament writers, that certain practices do shape and form us. And what we practice, we become. Let me put it like this, or or let me share how someone else put it. Practice giving, it cultivates generosity. Practice praying, it cultivates intimacy. Practice giving, it cultivates dependency. I love that. It's brilliant. I can say it's brilliant because I didn't think of it. But write it down. Take it away. Reflect on those three thoughts this week. Practice giving, it cultivates generosity. Practice praying, it cultivates intimacy. Practice giving or fasting, it cultivates dependency. And in a very real sense, this is a principle that governs a lot of life to a large degree. We recognize and accept this idea and concept for for many things. So, for example, we we practice skills in a piano in order to become a musician. We practice golf in order to become a golfer and reduce our handicap. A few smiles. We practice hill walking in order to climb mountains. We practice jogging in order to become a better runner and consider running a marathon. We practice cooking if we want to be a better chef. Goes on, less goes on. Because you see, what we practice, we tend to become. And so why are we sometimes so surprised that the same principle applies to our spiritual lives? And our spiritual development? We practice certain things in order to become more like Jesus. We practice certain things in order to become more like Jesus. Now, some people get slightly nervous talking like this because it sounds all a little too intentional, David. It sounds a little too planned, ordered, disciplined. And part of me wants to say, yes, it is. It really is. And it needs to be because unless we practice what we've been encouraged to practice, and we're thinking about three specific things this morning, giving, praying, fasting, unless we practice these then there may be very little impact on our spiritual formation and discipleship. Okay, let's unpack the actual text a bit more about these formational practices that Jesus talks about and what he says about how we should go about practicing them, how we should definitely not go about practicing them. Be careful, he says, not to practice righteousness. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness. And here's the bit, in front of others to be seen by them. And if you look at all three practices, if you scan down those nine verses we read together, we discover that this, this advice, this warning permeates his entire teaching. Don't practice these things in order to be seen. 
So don't give with a song and dance to be honored. Don't pray to impress. And don't draw attention to the fact that you are fasting. This is one of the reasons I I, kind of offered that phrase at the beginning. All of this is done for an audience of one. Which is hard. It's hard to live like this. It's almost unnatural, particularly in our culture. We may go as far as to say that we, or we wouldn't go as far as to say we, we want or we would like the limelight. don't think anybody would actually say that out loud. But we do crave a certain degree of attention and approval and recognition. We like to be affirmed. We like to be admired. We want significance. But the issue is whose admiration matters the most to us. Where do we actually go to find our significance? Whenever we we do a good deed or an act of righteousness, we like others to notice. And this really is one of the big issues that Jesus had with the Pharisees of his day. Because the idea of concealed righteousness cut right across their mindset. On another occasion, Jesus put it rather directly when he made the point, listen, everything they do is for men to see. Everything they do. That was their motivation in giving. That was their motivation in praying. That was their motivation in fasting. Unless there was some kind of audience to impress or to see how righteous they were, then why bother? Now, just as an aside, whenever you read Matthew 6, 1, you could think, and some do, that that Jesus is backtracking on something he said earlier in this sermon. Some of you might have picked this up. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus spoke about letting your light shine before others so that they might see your good deeds. So is Jesus now contradicting himself? Well, no, of course he's not. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus encourages us to shine bright and do good deeds so that the world will clearly see that our lives have been and are being transformed. And as a result, and the end of Matthew 5, 16 explicitly states this, as a result, people will look past us. They'll be pointed beyond us. And what will they do? They will glorify our Father. He is in heaven. The danger that, that Jesus speaks into in Matthew 6 1 is about doing the right things, good things, but in order to glorify and draw attention to ourselves. Where our motive is, is far more me centered than God centered. Where the admiration and the approval of others eclipses the approval and recognition of God. So I believe Jesus is speaking here about concealed righteousness and hidden an act of hiddenness really for an audience of one that forms and shapes us at a very deep and profound level and that is a choice and so i choose to conceal my righteous acts or i choose to reveal them i choose to seek god's honor and approval or i choose to seek a pat on the back from others I choose to be a people pleaser or a God pleaser. And into all of this then, 
and before we tease out a little more in terms of the three practices, but the, into all this, Jesus seems to inject a reference to rewards. And again, an issue that some people are a little uncomfortable discussing, this, this idea of, of Jesus rewarding us or God rewarding us. But the idea of reward is a very important strand in the teaching of Jesus as this text confirms and it's picked up elsewhere in the New Testament. In that first verse, again, have a look at it with me. Jesus makes the point that, that if we practice righteousness in order to be seen, in order to draw attention to ourselves, then we will have no reward from our Father in heaven. Notice it, it doesn't say there will be no reward off heaven. Okay, That's not what it says. This is not about gaining heaven. It's not about salvation via our giving or praying or fasting. Some kind of works-based system. It says, if we do it to be seen, then there will be no reward in heaven. What that reward actually means, what it looks like, how it's worked out, is not for this morning. But there is a definite sense in God's word, and here is no exception, of rewards in heaven that will be given. Look at the end of verse 4. And this practice or discipline of giving says, Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Future tense. End of verse 6 on prayer. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. End of verse 18 on fasting. Exactly the same wording. Now that could mean there is some kind of reward in the present. I know that. But it also indicates there will be some kind up ahead as well. All for an audience of one who sees, who notices, and who rewards. And one of the very real facts this highlights is that God sees everything I do. It's a reminder of the unconscious presence of God. And that is or can be, be part of the issue for us. We, we, know that, we know if people see us. We know if people hear us. Because they're tangibly, you're tangibly here this morning. I know you're listening. Well, no, I don't mean listening. Uh, I know you look as if you're listening to me. And we listen to people's words of praise and compliment or, or other ways. But God's present isn't, presence isn't as obvious, is it? We sing, be still for the presence of the Lord, the Holy One is here. Plus, we, we know that we're never out of God's divine presence. Psalm 139 makes clear that there's nowhere we can go or run to or fly to, for that matter, to escape it. But it can be hard to fully realize it or appreciate it or grasp it or, or get our heads around it 24-7. It's hard to do all for an audience of one when that one isn't visible. But the reality is God sees everything and is present everywhere. And he sees and I want to I make it, he sees with approval. 
So this reality, because sometimes it's this idea, God sees everything I do. It's said to kind of scare people, worry people, threaten people. It's not meant to frighten or create anxiety within us. This is an amazing, inspiring thought and discovery that the loving, gracious God that we've been singing about, who's slow to anger and rich in love, the one we live for, the one we live before, sees what others don't or can't. People may never see what we have done or what we do as we have shown an act of kindness. And Some of you have spoken words this week that have affirmed others. Words of kindness that nobody else knows anything about. Your father knows and sees notices will reward your father heard that prayer your father saw how you denied yourself during that time of fasting God has and God notices and God smiles and that's what really matters. And in addition, God continues to shape us and form us. And let me put it like this. When you practice to be seen by others, you're being formed by others. When you practice to be seen by God, you're being formed by the Spirit. But let's move on to some very specific advice about our three formational practices. So that's verse one done. Uh, no, I'm, I'm nearly through. But look at verse 2. And Jesus starts and he says, So when you give. You see, giving is a given in Christian discipleship and formation. It's not if you give, it's when you give. And that also applies to the other two practices. So in verse 5, Jesus says, When you pray, it's not if you pray. And in verse 16, he says, When you fast, it's not if you fast. Jesus just takes it that this is who we are now. This is what kingdom dwellers can behave like, live like. We're people who give, we're generous. We're, we're wanting to cultivate generosity. We're, we're people who pray, we're wanting to cultivate intimacy. We're people who fast, we're wanting to cultivate dependency. So it's when you do these things, not if. But then he speaks into the how. How in order to keep us on the right track, in order to form us properly. So don't veer in a sense outside. When you give, says Jesus, and notice who who he's primarily talking to here, when you give to the needy, to the less fortunate, it's the poor. He says, listen, do it undercover. Otherwise you risk hypocrisy. And to emphasize the secret dimension, Jesus says, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And it's a sense of dramatic effect to drive home a point. Now, some people panic about that and think, well, hang on a wee minute, that means I can't give anything via, say, direct debit because somebody will know that I'm giving and secondly, how much I'm giving. Or others think, oh, right, I can't give under gift aid because that means I'm going to have to be identified. And No, we're losing. And, and so, but some people do. Some people apply what is said here and go, right, okay. There are certain circumstances where somebody is going to know what you give, but that's not the point. It's all about motive. It's about whose honor Whose approval are you seeking as you give? It's about doing it as unto God. It's about a practice that forms you rather than informs others. A practice that forms you rather than informs others. Secondly, that's giving done. 
Secondly, when you pray, and we are going to look at this in a lot more detail next week, and Jesus, as I say, clearly assumes that you and I will make and carve out time to pray. Yes, prayer can happen at any moment and at any point of the day, and yes, there is a place for public prayer, as led by Robert this morning. But here, as Jesus speaks, there's an intentional personal prayer space and time that he's referring to. Go into your room, close your door, and pray. So this is about commitment, and this is about concentration, and this is about rhythm. This is about one-to-one dialogue. This is about communication. This is about intimacy. And so that that kind of throws up the natural question, how is my personal prayer life? How much time? And and, and I hate talking, I guess, in in one sense, because, you know, it all sounds so legalistic and kind of like we want to run a mile from that. It's all about grace. Yes, it is. But we've been given these practices to form a save by grace alone, faith alone, by Christ alone, yes. But we've been given then these practices to form us. Prayer is one of those. And it is about dialogue and it is about conversation. But Jesus said, listen, when you pray, go into your room and close the door and talk to your father. So it forces me to kind of go, well, how, how much time have I spent this week in the secret place of prayer? engaging in this practice of deep formation. And then finally, and and obviously there's so much more to be said, but the third formational practice, the third formational or spiritual discipline, holy habit, whatever phrase you like, that Jesus refers to is fasting. Possibly the least attractive, the least appealing, maybe the one that has the least meaning for most Christians today particularly in the West. And I think part of our problem is that we have managed to kind of completely divorce spiritual practices from bodily ones. And therefore, we so emphasize our inner heart and state of mind that it's hard for us to see any benefit from such a thoroughly bodily action as fasting. And I know there's all sorts of issues wrapped up in this and tied up with this and about who can fast and can't fast. And uh, this is kind of general comment I'm making, okay? And there are some people for whom you just cannot go there for health reasons and all of that, I understand. But for the ancients, there was no kind of such divorce. And hence, humbling oneself before God through abstention from food or from something else. Not necessarily just about food. But this was a natural spiritual expression And here in Matthew 6, Jesus assumes that his followers were doing it. Now, there was some confusion from some people at that time as to why why do your followers not fast? And kind of Jesus talked about how he was here and therefore they didn't really do it. But there was going to come a time when he was going to be gone and they should continue to do it. Jesus assumes that his followers will do it. But how they go about it again is the critical issue. And Jesus endorses fasting here, but he stresses it's got to be done in secret. It doesn't mean you shouldn't take part in a 24-hour sponsored fast. But we're talking about the personal dimension here. And as we approach the season of Lent, which is about a month away now, where we have a tradition, well, I say we have a tradition. Christian church has a tradition 
during Lent of self-sacrifice. Let's, let's take or consider taking the opportunity to rethink or re-engage with the humbling bodily practice of fasting, which, as we said earlier, cultivates dependency. What might I, what could I give up or fast from during Lent this year? But whatever we decide, let's make sure we keep it under wraps. And so just before we, we sing our last song, let me ask you a question again. How's your giving? When you give, how's your giving? How's your praying? How's your fasting? What do these three essential formational practices look like in your life and mine right now and remember we do it all for an audience of one we're going to close with a a song that kind of teases this out a little bit it's when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come Long and just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. And it talks about bringing more than a song. And we're coming back to the heart of worship. And it is all about you. It is all about Jesus. It's all about living before our God. Living before an audience of one. And it has ripple effect and it impacts our lives before others. But ultimately, our lives are lived before God. Who is changing us from the inside out. As we practice certain things that form and shape us from the outside in. And so these are choices. I know that. These are choices we are encouraged to make. In order to ensure that we keep coming back to what is at the heart of this. Let's stand together and sing when the music fades. Mm -hmm.